Real quick, I just want to give a shout out to all my patrons over on Patreon, especially the big $10 patrons, LF Cruz, Neo Venus, and Defcat. Thank you so much for supporting me over there. If you'd like to support the channel, you can follow us over there, or you can get some of our really sick merch, like the Don't Feed the Fish shirt, Yuriko shirt, Najila shirt, or Corville shirt, or the always popular Zach the Enemy shirt. And that being said, let's get into the episode. Welcome to Learning CDH, the podcast dedicated to teaching you everything you need to know about Competitive Commander. I'm your host, Matthew, joined as always by my co-host, Eric. And today we're looking at episode two of our little mini series where we're talking about each of these sort of macro archetypes of CDH. And today we're going to be talking about mid-range. Yeah, I love talking about going past turn three. So that's the that's that's how you know you're a mid-range deck. So as of this recording, I actually today just kind of released a video sort of complaining about mid-range a bit are the, the cards that are currently enabling it, I guess. Because as you'll kind of come to find out, mid-range is, at least right now, really powerful. Especially the more into the type, like the tournament EDH that you're playing. You're going to see that it, you know, tends to outperform turbo and stacks pretty handily uh, at getting like top four placements and and wins. What are some of the main sort of like identifiers for mid-range, you would say, Eric? Uh, Tim Nakram. (laughs) <laughs> no, yeah. I'm joking. But seriously, so some of the cards that you just, like you alluded to, are probably going to be your Mystic Remora, your Mystic Study, Sylvan Library to a degree, your Commander Engines, Timnacrom, those type of things, Thrasios. I mean, it's it's pretty myriad. There's like a ton of things you can go on. There's even Spectrums of Midrange that you want to look at. There's Nono, which is like Swiss Army Knife of decks. Like to me, um, it falls into essentially every category in some very Various form or another, you can make a case for it to fall in uh, those categories. And that's just when you look at mid range, you're looking at a, a deck that's trying to basically not lose in the early turns, have some form of value engine set up something that's slowing the deck down essentially with the value engine built into like the command zone and then it just starts ultimately taking over the game with sheer amounts of card advantage and powerful spells so for example we'll just make it really easy to me is something like blue farm which is just going to be your Timnacrom variants and it's just going to look for that kind of that mystic remora that ristic study esper sentinel as well so just getting like a crom and Timna online and just drawing cards accruing value deploying resources and protecting it itself with counter spells and it has removal spells and it then it has the potential to just close out the game on any notice so it does a really good job of not losing yeah there's definitely like sort of the main play patterns you can kind of expect for mid-range is this development in the early game where again you're trying not to lose so having something like a mental misstep in your opening hand is just you know chef's kiss that's perfect and then you want to develop a, a bit of mana you don't have to explode out like um you know some turbo decks are you're not looking to necessarily play three to five mana rocks at turn one but you do want to get a little bit of acceleration and then ideally one of those card draw engines like eric was talking about to just start building your advantage because that's really the name of the game is getting set up staying alive and then building that advantage to you get to the point where other decks aren't going to be able to compete right now like eric was saying blue farm is kind of the best at doing that it has just the most natural card draw advantage in the format in the command zone and it's in the colors that tend to do that the best right now so that's the big one you're going to see another one you might see is a deck like dawn waker thrasios or just other thrasios variants like thrasios timna these decks are usually more dork heavy because that's kind of what you play green for in these mid-range shells and they're gonna, you're going to see a lot of creature tutors because those are a lot of their value engines. Specifically, you're going to hear about Seedborn Muse with Thrasios, which is the kind of most absurd 
uh, mid-range grindy engine you can get going. It's the green nauseum, right? Yep. The, the, the green slow nas, which is <laughs> started to be quite, quite hated in, in tournament EDH because of just the way it can really slow down the game. Especially you get you get two players doing it, it just becomes absurd where there's just so much value happening and it, it gets to a point where it's really hard for other decks to compete. And that's kind of the name of the game, right? You have Timna decks that are trying to draw cards on their axis where they're more combat focused. Thrasios decks, which are trying to develop ways to get a lot of mana advantage. And then you've got decks like Najilo that kind of get to more recently pivot I think the best between a turbo style and a mid-range style where they can just set down an Ajila very early you develop a lot of attackers to pressure life totals of the other ad nauseum decks and then you can set a couple dorks and then you know get some card draw or you can you you know use cards like infernal plunge to power out something early you always have the potential to just slam a derevi and win having one card combos with your commander makes it really easy to pivot from the slow mid-range game plan right into that you know win the game turbo slam it down see if they have it style and that's really indicative of what you see a lot of the successful mid-range decks is that ability to go from the like slow draw go style into this explosion into a win. You said it best. I think the the best word is pivot. It mid-range decks have the best ability to pivot. There's more results, more more interest in the format and as the format grows, I think you no, know, we've used the term and we, you've talked about how you don't like the term rock paper scissors, which is kind of weird because it's a four player game and no, I guess it's rock, paper, scissors, rocket ship, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't think those those really exist in our game. But when we look at it, decks are becoming more evolved. They're, the lists are becoming more fine tuned to be able to have a broader spectrum. So in tournament play, at least you're not seeing as much like Evish, like Agrak, like this hyper, super explosive, like Rakdos ad nauseum style deck. And those decks always have a place in the format. Those I think those kind of decks help keep their decks honest and run interaction and all that type of stuff or like quote stacks pieces but aren't inherently a stacks deck i think that's what mid-range does better than anything it really has the ability to kind of catch all spectrums of the flavor if you look at it for example like we were talking about tim necrom it's not a stacks deck but it actually has quite a bit of stacks you know creatures in it and stacks effects or just taxing effects in general so we have like obviously we've talked about mystic Ristic and uh esper Sentinel, but then we've got various flavors with they're all pretty much on opposition agent um grand abolisher is a little bit different because that's more of a protection piece then you have whether it's on dalthy voidwalker or venia archivist of agma again not inherently a stacks piece but a rewarding piece that helps draw a crew card advantage Chrom can almost kind of insulate you a little bit against that as well because it's essentially trying to dissuade people from playing two spells a turn or it'll draw a card so these decks have all these kind of elements into it not to not to mention like if they're like you know running powerful ritual effects like dark ritual and they virtually every deck has access to fast mana you know it's got access to all the the mana crypts the mana vaults if they're on that the mox diamonds the chrome moxes um so soul ring you know pretty ubiquitous card effects like that and then we've got potential fast mana in lands like um ancient tomb is pretty universal now city of traders is becoming more and more adopted you have the talisman effects that just help smooth out draws to increase that velocity uh even though the cards aren't inherently moving faster but your your approach to the game might be so that's what's beautiful about mid-range is that it has the ability to do everything so even the former like turbo decks like that were like these ultra fast dedicated turbos if you look at the evolution of them they're virtually mid-range decks just have the potential to turbo but 
they're kind of all hovering around this. You know, if you look at it like on a sliding scale, say mid-range is kind of in the center. So Turbo to me, like the more successful Turbo decks have more mid-range elements to them. So you even take something like, you know, we're talking about mid-range, but we're talking about Rog Silas. If you ask anybody, they're just going to say, oh, clear Turbo deck. The Turbo deck, but the newer builds of it also have the ability to play longer games with more wheels, necropotence, uh, more interaction, Bolus of Citadel, if you know, like Brian Cook's variant. So Najila, we've already discussed Najila, same thing. So it's not just like these ultra glass cannony decks. And then if you want to look at like a stacks variant, well, really stacks is a mid range deck. Like it's just another form of a mid range. It may not be utilizing a bunch of blue cards to draw cards, but even like take Urza. So Urza is a great example. It's a mid-range deck that's a control deck, but it's also a stacks list. So it has all these elements to it. So CDH is really complicated. I think that's magic in general. You look at how magic's evolved over the years, like you can't even, the old term control deck. So if you talk 10 years ago about control, maybe it's a little bit more now because I'm getting old, but maybe 15 years, control meant all go, like blue, draw go. Control does not mean that anymore. Control means a completely different element. So I think with the evolution of the game and the evolution of the way the cards and how cards all have these powerful effects. Dockside Extortion is a perfect example. <laughs> so Dockside is a card that is, if you're playing red, you're going to be playing Dockside. It's a card that just helps power out your mid-range effects, but also inherently can turbo out your game. So it doesn't make your deck a turbo deck, but it just allows you to play your cards faster. You're still doing a mid-range grinding plan. So if I'm on, let's say, something like Thrasios Dargo, which has been kind of cropping up a little bit more lately since its success, I think it had a little bit. It's got this Dargo, which incentivizes the Storm element. And Storm doesn't inherently mean like Turbo. Storm just means like a manual Storm term. So a great example of something like that would be like Kark Sakashima. It's a mid-range deck that's also a Storm deck. So it has that fast plan. It has this mid-range plan. It has all the control elements to play because it's blue. Play into those type of games so mid-range is like this really unique effect that now is kind of like encompassing so it's really like maybe you're on dark ritual cabal ritual but you might not be on like infernal plunge right of flame you know even you look at the mid-range decks like a lot of the tim necrom variants play like right of flame just because it's just gets you a little bit faster by still just deploying your effects to draw the game out and draw more cards does that make sense (laughs) yeah and i think in what it kind of points to is in general the effects that sort of they don't necessarily punish other players like you're talking about with like Ristics and mystics these cards that they gain you some advantage through people doing the opposite of what you want them to do you as if you're a blue farm player you kind of don't want anybody to do anything and so if you can say hey don't do anything or i'm going to draw a bunch of cards which is the other thing you want to do you have so many pieces now or if it's drawing cards or maybe it's opposition agent where it's just like hey if you're going to tutor no you're not actually i'm going to tutor or with archivist magma uh you know if you're going to tutor i'm going to draw it's just we've seen people sort of realize that like hey punishing game actions is kind of one of the best things you can do when they reward you instead of just saying, hey, you can't do this, which is why like we're not seeing like rule of law and deafening silence get splashed the way that Ristic Study and uh, Esper Sentinel can get splashed in pretty much any decks that have those colors because it's just right now so inherently powerful to just say like, hey, 75% of game actions, they're not mine. If I can get advantage on, you know, even half of those, then you're going to get this massive increase in, in the value that you generate over the course of the game. So there's definitely like a push for a lot of decks to sort of take that same strength because, you know, those cards are there. They're really powerful. And, you know, it, it's challenging a bit of uh, deck building preconceptions for, for some lists that are, that are moving more mid-rangey or trying to combat it. But uh, yeah, currently it's it's doing very well. It's making stacks kind of non-monota stacks specifically is kind of struggling to compete because it 
that also plays into that same game plan, right? Like if you're a Timna Krom player just chilling out with a Timna and a couple of attackers, if nobody on the table is drawing any or casting any spells, that really heavily advantages you because you're over there drawing four cards a turn, casting whatever your best spell is, and then holding up interaction to interact, you know, with players one other cards. So there's a, a lot of different factors have led to, to mid-range being just this really strong powerhouse that it is. But I would say that there is, it's not all, I guess, doom and gloom and that there's just, you know, four or five color piles. There there are some variants of mid-range um, that also can sort of like move between sort of that fast and slower pace. So something like a, a Kinnon deck, for, for instance, can really, that's, you know, the best mana dork deck out there. You get to double up on all of those that can have you move uh, incredibly quickly through the game. And just sometimes you just, you have the Basalt Monolith into the Mirage Mirror and you just win. Um, but it's also a deck that can just say like, it can sort of do the the Thrasios thing where it can just be activating Kinnon to get some value out or um, draw off its Ristics and Mystic Remoras and things like that. And then you also have a lot of Esper decks that have recently cropped up. Decks like Tivit that have done really well recently that sort of have like the, their massive value engine in the command zone that's just this ridiculous hard to kill Titan. And it's just doing the sort of Esper sort of blue farm light thing. But, you know, just you don't have the speed of red, but you have compact sort of one card combos with Time Sieve that you have access to and then you have Thoracle Consult, which is another really uh, common thing you're going to see across a lot of these decks. Yeah. So when you look at like Esper Midrange, for example, like Tibbet's really popped up, but like Tim to Malcolm, which recently won not too long ago, um, the deck has exactly what you need. It has Anna in the command zone in the form of Malcolm. It has Timna, obviously, which is, you know, going to draw you cards. Obviously, your other commander flies, which really helps out. And then you also get to play like all the good stuff. You get to play, to me, the big three and Mystic, Mystic and Esper Sentinel. Then you get like Archivist Vagma. You get Opposition Agent. You get Douthy Woodwalker, Ranger Captain to a certain degree. That deck also gets to play cards like Graft Digger's Cage, which is be insane, you know, because that card's really powerful in our format. So this deck has a lot of stacks elements, but it's not a stacks deck. It's a mid-range deck. It's a deck that is controlling a narrative of a game. Also potentially just can win the game pretty early with a protected Thoracle line. It just has happens to have it. It has the Dark Rituals. It has the Ad Nauseum. It has the ability to protect like an Indeterrent Ad Nause, you know. So it's like that, like decks like that are really, really good that don't necessarily inherently need red. It does miss out on having like Oxide Extortionist, but if you could have all those colors with Dockside, with Underworld Breach, but also have access to and in the Command Zone, and that's pretty unique. That shows you the power level of something like Malcolm in a mid-range list. It's not playing, you know, Glinthorn Buccaneer, that it's still that good of a card. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways that you can utilize something like that is, for example, like a lot, you might think of Malcolm as like a combo piece commander, but getting a treasure return sometimes, you know, it's not really that bad. I think the deck runs a few different pirates as well to kind of get some other treasure triggers. And, you know, you have, I think cards like Siren Stormcaller that kind of synergize and lets you do like, you also just get Timna attackers. They synergize, you know, having a flyer in the zone that makes you treasures. It all just kind of layers. They can play, oh, right. play Changeling Outcast, uh, oh, okay, CDH yeah. All-Star Staple. Yeah, it pops up. And, and another pretty different sort of mid-range deck, um, Yurko, which is yeah, uh, that's a great example. A really cool one, a, a, a great one I would recommend to new players. If you're coming from Casual Commander, you're probably already familiar with Yurko and you might hate her because she's pretty crazy over there. You kind of get to do that same thing with her because she's just another really ridiculous 
value engine in the command zone for two mana. You're almost never going to pay more than two for her. Doesn't matter how much she gets killed. Doesn't matter if there's a Draneth Magistrate. She's still coming back. And you just get to do these turn. You know, she does this thing where instead of getting to play these high value, high impact cards like, you know, Ragavan or a lot of the white cards like Esper and stuff, you just turn your attackers into their own value engines through your code. And it also gets to become a reliable win condition because you just get to do so much damage with with her. That's another really interesting one. And colors that you don't typically see as just like a mid-range deck, you know, you're missing the white, you're missing the green. The power of having that card draw in the command zone, especially if it comes down cheap and you have uh, other synergistic things you get to do with it, it's just, you know, it's a reliable recipe for a um, a strong deck that has a chance to just sit there, hold up interaction, you're drawing a ton of cards. That helps you get to the next turns where you have more cards than everybody else you get to keep interacting and then you get to get to yourself to a position where you get to win i think another uh hallmark thing about mid-range decks is i think they mulligan better than all the other decks in the format yeah like a turbo deck if you don't happen to have like a tutor that lines up with what you're doing your deck's going to really struggle and I, I again when i look at like pure turbo decks i feel like there's less and less of them i think there's decks that have turbo elements mm-hmm. uh the true like just i'm trying to dump everything out as fast like i don't see a cold deck like you know the, like cody you might see a cody pop up but you even could, then, uh, you could really look if at you uh, checked out my stream last week uh, as of this recording at least you could have seen some coal action with um jake fitzsimons he loves that deck but <laughs> but anyways uh, but like if you look at me like you you like Again, Cody is under the moniker of Turbo Agnosium decks, but Cody has a lot of interaction. Mm. So while it might be, that's what it's trying to do, it still has like a tremendous amount of bounce spells and interaction pieces, removal, because it's obviously going to have this um, kind of crutch of the way Cody plays. Like it needs to also remove its own self, potentially. Obviously, it needs to remove its Cody. Mm. But at the same time, like, it still can fall. It's not trying to be a mid-range deck, but it still has a lot of the same elements as these decks do. It's just really interesting to see how these decks go because mulligan really matters in our format. Like in Magic mm-hmm. in general, I, I think if people learn to mulligan better, whether you're casual or competitive, I think it just helps your skill set and the quality of the game overall for yourself and your pod members as well. But if you want to be a factor in the game, you don't want to just be the person that like is a land, passes and passes with no interaction or no potential to stop somebody. And then you just, you know, just kind of sit there and you're a non-factor. Um, sometimes it just ends up that way because you mulligan like really, really heavily and you just don't see the cards. But I think that a, a great hallmark point of mid-range is that it has all these potential cards in it. So whether it's the Mystic Rhystic Esper Sentinel, some other form of value engine and the ability to just smooth out its draws with its commanders. I think that's what makes mid-range so, so effective in our format. If you take like a stack deck and then mulligan and your stack pieces don't don't line up or out of the game like you, you know you you have to actively look for if you're green you're looking for like a collector oof or a null rod or something like that and you know you don't and maybe you don't have card advantage in the command zone unless you're on like you know timna kamal you know or something like that which you know i haven't seen that deck in a while but like yusharn yusharn doesn't have card advantage in the command zone i mean kind of mm-hmm. yusharn kind of does but it's like one of those cards where you actively have to look for these pieces and they all have to line up appropriately based on the texture of the game and the pod and it's just you know mid-range kind of gets to do the best of everything and that's what's really beautiful about it and mulligans really well it has really good commanders it's whether it's a three color or a four color to five color pile 
style that has a specific game plan and also is very effective at winning the game as well. That's another thing too. Like they typically have a clean A plus B or A plus B with a small C involved, you know, like if it's like unroll breach. So Mm. So that's something that's really mid-range so appealing to a lot of people is that you're also not pressured to make a play like, you know, like you, know, you get a really great turbo aficionado who's like inherently really good with their deck. I'd really trust that player. So I'd a great example would be like someone like Z-Rob with Rogsai. Like that person clearly puts up results with that deck and they know their way with that deck. So, but not everybody has that ability because your margin for error is much less. And mid-range, it's just not like slam opposition agent into play. It just, you know, it just kind of does its thing. And that's not trying to say like it has no bad play patterns or anything like that. Cause that's not what I'm trying to say. That's about any magic card, but your margin of error on those cards are, is, is just so much less. It's just, just like if you went back to the old school 60 card formats, Agro was really known for years as kind of the quote dumb persons like deck, which is really kind of the opposite because your margin for error is so much less. You know exactly how much to commit, how much to not commit, because no matter what, Wrath of God four mana wipes the board. So that's one or 10 creatures. So when you have the ability to like effectively shut down somebody else's play for two mana and basically stop what they're doing, you no, know, that's a really powerful play. But, you know, whether or not, you know, you need a lightning bolt creature or lightning bolt the person and try to rely on top decks or apply pressure, it takes a lot of skill. And sometimes it just gets there, but our format really doesn't have those type of decks. You know, sometimes they, you know, decks just win because cards don't line up very well. Nobody has any interaction. Somebody plays a silence, casts ad nauseum, wins the game, or, you know, Thoth's Oracle combo, something like that. But we don't have that, you know, every critical little decision ever matters or you're super punished because no matter what, you have three other people in the pod. So you're already thinking like that anyways. So... Midrange is such a unique style because it just kind of gets to do everything. You know, I, I just think that's why it's so powerful. It's appealing and allows people to also play more magic as well. You're talking about how it, it mulligans really well. And I think a lot of that is the the context that you get to look at your hands in because you have such a, a good way to pivot and just inherently, you know, assuming games even play out like an average way, right? Then you're you're expecting to see maybe like five to ten more cards than your opponents who don't have a, a value engine in the command zone, like a rock side, for example. They might run a lot of the same cards as a blue farm deck, but when they're looking at like a card like mental misstep in their opening hand, that's you know, they're maybe one piece of protection that they'll have for when they try to go for it on turn two or turn three. Whereas a blue farm player can look at that card and just say, okay, well, this can be my way to stop, you know, the first Esper Sentinel or Mystic Grimoire that happens, or I get to stop Rock Size Tutor, or maybe in five turns, you know, things go my way and I get to use it to counter a swan song that's targeting my Adnos. So you get to really just focus on flexibility in your slots. And that's where like, you'll hear a lot of people talk about just like, card quality comes into play where it's just like how good is this card in the average setting and you know where how many different scenarios is it good in and that's where the more cards we get that are good in you know a wide variety of scenarios that's where you see mid-range decks just become more and more powerful because they just get to run the best stuff typically in either four colors or all five something else too that mid-range gets to really do if it gets stopped it has the ability to recuperate pretty well too because again as we've mentioned you know various commanders whether that's the timna Krom, thrasios i'm sure i'm missing there there's a ton of commanders like that even tibet for example so all these type of commanders went on a same thing you know it, it just has the ability to just kind of rebuild itself out of you know out of thin air to some degree but that's another thing too it's like oh i try to go for my ad nauseum my instep you know 
oh well and go through basically got to take like no time off during my main phase i get to untap and if i still have you know these creatures like you know temna Krom, delphi voidwalker uh your captain videos all these type of cards that just happen to either get me another card or prevent somebody else from doing something lavinia you know you're still pretty much in control of what you're doing and then you just get to attack people and draw cards so you know you did to <laughs> just refuel back up and basically you do a really great job at not losing and then when you get to present your win with like a protected like grand abolisher or something like that that's something that deck does really really well and so I look at these mid-range decks like they all have a unique way of like winning the game and, and i don't mean like y'all know like demir decks are thos's oracle combo or like some form of like maybe brain freeze with underworld breach you know that type of stuff with also thoracle you know but you know like Krark sakashima can like it works on a completely different axis is like that deck but it still is a mid-range deck in that regard. And the reason why I call it a mid-range deck is like, I honestly haven't played, I've played a lot against it, but like someone like Ken, uh, who's like, you know, very well known for that list and the Clark Godfather per se, but you know, they dubbed it as a mid-range deck. And then, you know, when you look at it, that's what it really does. Now it has the ability to like do some crazy stuff, especially if Clark's rocking and rolling. But you know, if the deck just does its thing, it's like put a Clark out, put a Sakashima out, and then it's just got its value pieces on. It can do the thing. It can do the mystic and the esper or the ristic study per se doesn't have esper signal thank god <laughs> um but it can do the thing and then again it's got all the blue interaction and then it just has that type of plan so it's really just interesting how there's other decks and we're missing and we're just naming kind of the kind of the hot take decks that are out there that most people would kind of know about there's a ton of other decks out there don't think of us as like these are the only decks you could ever play because that's not that's not the case we're just thinking of like what are some kind of just if you were to look at a tournament result right now what would you kind of see in the top four you would see some form of like malcolm deck some form of the variant some crumbs those type of things the gila those type of cards yeah you definitely have a lot of other ones especially in like as you get lower color it they tend to be greener i guess for the most part because green kind of lets you just kind of like develop you know dorks in the early turns it tends to mulligan pretty well and you have like green blue you know if you're doing like the simic nonsense kind of <laughs> kind of game plan it can work pretty well you know listening to us here it may sound like you know mid-range has literally no weaknesses and you should just always be playing it no matter what there are a couple downsides to playing mid-range so especially for a new player i would say a lot of the higher color mid-range piles or you know good stuff decks they have the ability to pivot but they also to play optimally they kind of have the requirement to pivot so if you're not able to, you know, see your opening hand, recognize that it it's strong for whatever X amount of turns, and then at some point you're going to need to tutor for a certain piece in order to, you know, really close the door on the, the turbo decks or make sure that you have enough going on. Um, the Thrasios, like the creature heavy decks specifically have a lot of tutoring, especially the, if the Sands Blacklist, because a lot of times you might have to do something like a mystical tutor for a worldly tutor to get a creature or you know you might have to um use something like a neoform into a spell seeker to go get a counter spell because you don't have access to those black tutors so you you have to get really creative with your list um these decks really reward you for for knowing your deck understanding all the lines especially as you get to those like i said creature heavier decks that they may have compact lines but also they'll usually have like different options that you can pivot into thrasios decks specifically they have like you know you've got devoted druid stuff going on you've got kinnon stuff going on you got zerda and you got all kinds of nonsense emil dockside and so understanding what 
the deck specifically that you're playing, what tools it has access to, when those tools are at their best, what spells you need to interact with. Because as much as we say, like, you know, you can sit back and draw go, you are going to have to interact at some point. And that is, uh, you know, you have plenty of opportunities to mess that up. If you're not, you know, really diligent with the the amount of interaction you have, you might have the most cards in hand. But, you know, if you counter, you know, player one and two and then player three, you don't have any answers to you know, they got you, you know, that's, it's going to happen sometimes if you're going to need to get a read on the table and understand like, Hey, this is my game plan. How do I optimize it? And that is less focused, I would say in mid range than it can be in turbo decks. Like we said, where, you know, turbo decks are kind of dedicated to going and doing their thing. So they might have, you know, an advanced decision tree because they have a small margin of error, but they're also typically focused on a small number of turns, right? You could make a mistake with a mid-range deck on turn two that bites you on turn eight. And so that's one of the the key things, especially for newer pilots and in the higher color mid-range decks like Blue Farm and um, any of your Thrasios variants like Dawn Waker, something to watch out for and, and keep in mind if you try to start the game with a deck like that. Yeah, so that's really a great point there on that. And also, too, just, you know, I don't know if you, I apologize if, uh, if I missed it, but uh, just the ability to fetch. Understanding mm-hmm. your fetching decisions and knowing, like, do I need Volcanic Island, Tropical Island? Um, you know, when you look at, like, some of these decks, I'll give you, to me, one of the typical what weaknesses of something like Blue Farm is, like, it's a Grixis deck that splashes white. The whites are double white, like Ranger Captain and Grand Abolisher. So you look at something like that, you know, it, 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 and especially too, if you're like trying to play like a first turn Esper Sentinel, you may not use white for, for a while for the rest of the game. You know, you might have something that you play, of course, you know, you got Timna, of course. And that's the thing, like Timna is actually one of the hardest things to cast in the list, mm-hmm. despite how good and having access to all these lands are. Because when you look at your fetches, like, you know, you have to sometimes make concessions on what lands you play. You don't get to run like four City of Brasses or four Mana Confluence. Is you have to run City of Brass, Mana Confluence, Exotic Orchard, uh, and then now you're just kind of like, uh, unless it's turn zero, Gemstone Caverns is pretty dead. It's just colorless, so it's it's not something that you enjoy. Ancient Tomb really doesn't help you accelerate, or, or rather accelerate, but help your color pie. So you're looking at things like your fetches really, really matter, and then you got to make concessions like, okay, am I on Tarnished Citadel? Am I on Spire of Industry? Exotic Orchard. Oh, darn, I went first. The Exotic Orchard doesn't do anything, you know? And so it's not just, you know, you don't get to just, you know, have your cake and eat it too in these four-color decks, and it's something that I've noticed, and I, you know, I know some decks do a really great job with it because they might have access to green, but, like, I think typically three-color decks have better mana and five color decks have better mana there's like this weird tension in this four color decks now green four color decks i think get away with it a little bit better because mm-hmm. they have like dorks like birds of paradise uh if they're on like something like the pod ignoble hierarch birds of paradise they have a little bit better access to stuff like that but then the gila can just play just the best green dorks and then also have the mana and so it's, it's a little bit smoother for them but um something just to keep in mind when you look at your deck and building your deck of knowing like what pips and that type of stuff that's why you don't see like whether the card fits the deck architect or not that's why you don't see like necropotence really in like blue farm anymore because it's really hard to cast same with something like peer into the abyss whether that card resolves or not it's still really hard to cast um because of the triple black so now you have triple black you already have double black and a nauseum you know you got your blue cards that's why whether how good or not two color two mana counter spells are like something like mana drain it's double blue 
even the decks that can cast it, it's not always effective. Like some like Kennen, a little bit different, but like these three color decks really have to question like, do I want this card? And that's why you might, you know, want to have a better process on your mana. Your mana really matters in these decks. So just kind of keep that in mind. That gets into the weeds a little bit of mid-range decks, but that's just, you want to think about everything that comes into mid-range. You don't want to just go, oh, it's just perfect scenario because if that was the case, every mid-range deck would win and you'd have four winners and no losers. And that's just, that's not how CDH work. <laughs> Yeah, so there are, you know, concessions that you, you know, you'll make for mid-range. Generally, though, every deck can CDH to some extent, especially if you're new. You, you know, they're going to, it's going to be hard. There's going to be a learning curve. Don't let it scare you away that you might have to tutor more. If you, if you look at a deck like Don Waker Thrasios, you think it's really cool. Hop in there and try it out. There's a lot of content on it. That's another thing about these really popular high color decks is that it's usually easy to find information about them or find content covering them or somebody you can chat with that has experience, especially if you like Blue Farm, man, you have got it so easy because you can watch every tournament from now on you can watch every plan with the power video and you're gonna see blue farm show up in you know a, a lot of instances yeah a lot of these staples of the format it's, it's a bit easier to help that learning curve even though in some instances they might have a, a steeper one where you know there's a bit to learn with the tutoring and the pivoting blue farm is <laughs> blue farm this this actually whole episode is just actually <laughs> blue farm it, it's what's that is mid-range but um especially with the evolution of something like blue farm where blue farm originally was like this or color turbo ad nauseum deck in reality it's more so this brandy mid-range deck that can sometimes turbo out a win but in reality you're just trying not to lose in the early games deploy your threats get resources and threats as in cards like mystic Ristic, you know those type of cards. position agent you know just to really like slow down the game and also just take advantage of a sniping a tutor or something like that or preventing your opponents from tutoring really but that's one thing that and it's really kind of hard because like mid-range decks and like their formats don't really equate to what mid-range is in cdh you look at mid-range and like i haven't played standard in a while but like the previously uh there was like the last standard I was a part of. There's a lot of like Simic X nonsense going on, like the Soltai Ultimatum list. I think it's called like Emergence Ultimatum that yeah. basically just lets you like pay a bunch of stuff for free. Then there was just like, you know, the Omnaths of the world, uh, those type of cards. CDH is quite a bit different than those type of decks that are just basically trying to play like some like derpy slow card every turn. The cards in this format, while weeks use the term mid-range, is still hyper-efficient. Like, yeah. Don't get me wrong, like every deck has access to fast mana. So you might think of like Rhystic Study as a for more so for like the newer players coming in, but I see Rhystic Study as like this you card you play on turn three. No, it's typically coming out like one and two. The game is like slowing down, but it's more hyper efficient in that regard. So don't think of it as like mid-range is like this turtle deck that, you know, if for all my fighters, uh, fi people who love fighting games, like a turtle character, these decks are still really fast and in, in terms of able to deploy these more powerful effects, if if that makes sense. Yeah, it's important to keep in mind. So like, again, if, if you're coming from a typical card game or other magic format, like 60 card format where mid-range is a lot more about just like curving out into you know your you start off with like a dork into you know your good two drop into your good three drop and you just kind of keep the game going your way but the i think the, the main thing to keep in mind is that in a lot of formats combo is considered an archetype whereas in cdh it's just kind of the default and so when every deck you know is a combo deck that means every deck has to to some extent be highly interactive or disruptive and so there's not as much of that because a lot of times mid-range decks are going to develop a little bit of their mana and spend a little bit of it, but you're not really looking to curve out as well because if you don't have, you know, all your free interaction in your hand, when you tap out with a deck, 
you know, here, if, if you're trying to go slower, you put yourself at risk of just dying to that turbo deck with a turn two NOS because everybody's tapped out. So, so the, the differences between the formats really kind of highlights the differences with the archetype. It's why we're not even, we didn't have a video on aggro. We talked about turbo, which is not really a, a typically a macro archetype in, you know, um, regular magic 60 card formats. But yeah, hopefully, uh, this has helped you sort of understand a bit of the, the mid range craze and, um, well, <laughs> I'll help you on your way to being a uh, esteemed blue farm pilot, probably. <laughs> uh, or, or just like Grixis mid piles. Those are, those are great too. So <laughs> yeah, lots of mid range ad nauseum stuff right now. Um, but yeah, hopefully you found this video helpful. All right. This podcast rather helpful. Uh, next time we're going to be taking a look at the last macro archetype of stacks. We're going to get to talk about Winota and then I guess there's other decks too. But yeah, there's totally <laughs> other decks in this archetype, so we'll, we'll cover those. Yeah, we'll see when we get to that. But yeah, this has been Learning CDH. Make sure to, if you enjoyed this, let us know in the comments. Let us know what we can do to improve. Like us, follow us over on uh, Spotify or wherever you listen. Subscribe over on YouTube so you can get all the latest updates and um, the other videos I do for educational CDH content. And yeah, this has been Learning CDH. Go play CDH.